I just want to say I want to get right into it because uh, we have a couple of things I'm so excited about happening to NBC. So I want to say thank you to Pastor Brian for uh, stepping in and giving a great message last Sunday. Thank you, Pastor Brian. We have some exciting things going on. Just want to touch on it. And the reason that I do it, it all culminates into what I want to share out of Luke chapter 23. There are some folks right now as we speak um, in uh, Montana, uh, a group that went down to serve for an entire week, give up an entire week of their life, their vacation to serve uh, children at a, at a children's ranch. Uh, every year we go. And I just want to please ask you to pray for them. It Basically, it's a ranch in Montana that we support financially every month through your giving. And it's just children who have all kinds of problems, might be substance abuse, abuse in the home, uh, runaways, all kinds of problems, and they, they, they're able to um, house those children in uh, houses with uh, parents, and then they get family, they work on the ranch, and most of all, they get the good news of Jesus Christ. And so our folks are there for one reason, and that is to serve. I'm so glad. I want to say welcome back to all of our um, Royal Family Kids Camp team. So good. So good to have you guys back. I know it's an incredible week, and for those maybe guests with us today, uh, again, we support a ministry for children that are in desperate need in the foster care system for not only family, but um, to know their heavenly father. And so they went for an entire week in, uh, down to San Diego, again, to serve, to lead children, to love them, and it's just so good to have them back. Fifty people from MVCC and a couple other churches went to serve children for the entire week. Just amazing. So I want to say thank you, thank you for giving your heart, your vacation time, your, your money, everything so that children can know Jesus. Um, also, last week, there was a week before junior high camp and then high school camp last week. And as Pastor Brian mentioned, four students um, gave their lives to Jesus Christ. They're going to be baptized today after second hour. So exciting. What I want to say about camp is this. Camp for young people, for students, is so valuable. 75% of people who give their life to Jesus Christ will do that before the age of 18. That's why it's so important. I mean, it is vital. When our kids were uh, in high school and junior high age, they just, they just we, we're, going to, we're going to church camp. You're going because we want you to focus and really meet Jesus in a powerful way. And you know as well as I do, sometimes we need to push away all the distractions Turn off the cell phone, turn off the iPads, turn everything off, and just focus in. And they get worship services, teaching through the word, life groups, small groups. And it's just, it's just been amazing. So um, we're grateful that our students are back safe and challenged and refreshed. When my sons were little, we took them to a movie theater for the first time that had 3D. For those of you that don't know what 3D is... Um, uh, for those of us who have maybe uh, lived a little longer, you go into the movie theater, and if you do not put these glasses on that they give you when you walk in and pay for your ticket, um, it looks just blurry, out of sorts, can't make sense of it. It's almost, um, it's almost painful to watch a movie without the glasses. So it was our first time in their uh, theater, and so we're all sitting together, and um, the time for us to put the glasses on, and they had uh, been doing something, so it was just a moment where they didn't have the glasses on, and Jonathan said, Dad... This is, I can't see the movie. I said, Jonathan, put your glasses on. Michael, put your glasses on. This is awesome. Now, that moment right there, that right there is what I want for us. Jesus, you are awesome. But often it's blurred. I can't see clearly. He's there. He's never changing. He'll never move. He'll, he'll never stop loving. He'll never stop being in your life. But there's a hindrance often, it gets blurry, and if I choose to put the glasses on, 
then I can see him so clearly. Question is, what are those glasses? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you guys, I need you to go into Jerusalem. I need you to wait. This is after Jesus died on the cross, rose again. I need you to wait for the gift that I will give you. When Jesus met them in a powerful way, physically, he then said, I'm leaving you, but I'm giving you the gift. But I need you to trust me. The disciples had no idea, I believe in that moment, what he was talking about. All he said is, I want you to meet in a prayer meeting in the upper room. This is why we believe so strongly in the power of prayer. Church that does not pray is a powerless church. A church that does pray together is a powerful church. I was just up this morning with our prayer team. Man, there was like 15 people praying already before we got here. You know, there was some students that were in, back in the day, Charles Spurgeon, who was a big time a writer, author, teacher, preacher of preachers. He had the biggest church in uh, the world at age 18. It was like 2,000 people before there was mega churches. And people would come from all over the world to see his church, to see why are the crowds coming. And his, some students came up from a local college, said, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, tell us why is this church growing? He said, come with me. He took them down into the basement. This is back when they had basements in, in the church. And there were hundreds of people praying during the service. This is why this church is powerful. This is why the spirit of God is moving. And this is why people are getting saved. I say all that to say this. The church was born out of a prayer meeting. They were meeting together in the upper room. And so in that moment, the Holy Spirit was the gift. When they received the Holy Spirit, there was power. Now, later in Luke chapter 9, I'm sorry, previous to Acts 8, in Luke chapter 9, which we're going to go to 23 in just a minute, Jesus did three things with the disciples. I want you to hold on to these three words. He said, number one, I have called you. One day Jesus said, in verse 9, chapter 2, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them the power and authority to cast out all demons. Anyone here have been oppressed by a demonic? Anyone here been oppressed by the enemy? Anyone ever just feel the presence of evil pushing around you? You can't put your finger on it? The enemy is against you. He's real. And for us to say in South County, well, that stuff doesn't happen here. That happens down in Zimbabwe. No, the enemy's always moving. He's always looking for someone to devour. Number three is this, to cast out all demons and heal all diseases. Anyone here have a disease? Anyone here sick? I believe Jesus can touch us. I believe in a moment he can touch us and heal us. Now, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes we have to go to doctors. Sometimes he says, I need you to comply with what I've given you. And that means maybe take medicine or medication that might help the healing. But anyway, I believe that Jesus can heal all. By the way, where do the doctors get all the knowledge for those medicine anyway? Right? They got it from, from you, Jesus. And then the third one is this. Then he sent them out to tell everyone, watch this now, about the kingdom of God to heal this. He called you, he gave you, and he sent you. If you, you and I do not see this, if you and I do not see this with 3D, if we do not wear a witness in our heart, I'm not talking about just knowing this, I'm talking about walking it, living it. I mean, there's such a fire in your bones because you know Jesus, the power of his resurrection. He has changed your life and you want every single person to know that Jesus Christ is the real deal. I, I, I need to just kind of talk for you for a moment just about a couple of things regarding who you are, but most importantly, who he is. If you know him personally, you are in the ministry. 
At, at, at MVCC, this is not about having a show for an hour and 10 minutes, the service, and then we just kind of go about our day. This is about equipping you, empowering you, encouraging you, challenging you. If you feel, oh man, that hurt a little bit. I got to change this. I got to transform this. God, I hear you speaking to me. That's all good because we are becoming more of a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And as we just sang the song, sometimes we have to go through suffering. And if it means God, that means I'm going to be closer to you, more intimate with you, rely upon you, lean into you. Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'm along. I will not fight it. And I will tell you honestly, that is hard for me because I like my comfort. I like the way things, I like it. I want life the way, I don't like pain. I don't like not knowing what's happening in the next week. And God says, I need you to trust me. I'm using this to use you to transform you. So who told you that you're just a full-time mom? You're not just a full-time mom. You are a discipler of those little ones. Who told you that you're just a business person, a student? When you get around your dinner table and you've prepared the meal and you're praying and talking and loving your kids, that's ministry. If you're a student and you're walking down the hallways of junior high or high school and, and you're seeing all this crud that's going on in the public school system right now, what people are doing, stand up for what you believe in. That's ministry. If you're a student, university student, and you're in philosophy class and the, the professor's constantly, the Bible's just this, the Bible's not that, the Bible's a myth, the Bible's not true, we don't have a God, we are just an accident, stand up for what you believe in. That's ministry. If you're a business person and lack of integrity is all over the place in your business and you have an opportunity to do the right thing, personal integrity and character, that's ministry. I, I want us so much to see that you have been called, he's given you the power of the Holy Spirit and he has sent you to do ministry. Doing ministry is not a paid occupation. Doing ministry is something we get to do because we have a fire for Jesus Christ and we see people that are lost everywhere around us. He's called you, he gave you the Holy Spirit and now he's sent you. He will ask you and I at the end of the day when we stand before our loving heavenly father, we will give an account. It's just how the Bible teaches it. The account that he's asking for and will hold us accountable to is not whether we make it to heaven or hell because if you've received Jesus Christ as your savior, you're in. You're in heaven. It's already done by his grace. But we give an account on how we've lived our life, what we've done with what he's given us, what, what we have done with what he's called us to. It's not just here being here. I'm so glad that you're here. I tell you what, even if I wasn't a pastor, I gotta be in service every Sunday. I have to, because I know that I've been created, number one, to worship him. I need to hear something from him so that I can get my assignment and do what God's called me to do all week long. If I miss that opportunity, I may miss what God has for me. He will not ask you and I how many Instagram followers we have. He will not... He will not get excited about how many friends we have on Facebook. He will not ask us how many tweets we put out. Did I know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, number one. Number two is give an account for the assignment he gave you. And what I'm looking for, I hope you're looking for, is well done, good and faithful servant. Question, is your main priority the applause of the world? I understand this, I really do. Because sometimes there's something within my flesh that likes to be liked, that likes to hear, oh, great, awesome, doing a great job. 
I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong. We have a human part of us. But if we live for that applause, if we live for approval of men and women, we, we will be so discombobulated spiritually, we will not be able to see with 3D glasses who Jesus really is. That's why I want so much. There's, just a, there's a fire here. I believe that God is burning at MVCC. The question is, are we going to grab onto that fire? Or are we just going to sit back and let others do it? Second question, am I living for the applause of heaven? Am I living for the applause of heaven, angels, and our heavenly father in Jesus that one day, that's what I'm living for. That's what, who I want to please. The day is coming. Jesus will return. And can I just tell you, brothers and sisters, family, friends, fellow sheep, that I believe with the end times that Jesus has talked about in Matthew, he talked way about back in Daniel, we don't have time to go through it, that we are so close, I believe, to the second coming of Christ. And before that, the rapture, the Antichrist comes and then Jesus returns. We are so close, I believe that, because he gave us warning signs and he gave us those signs in the scripture that say this is what will happen. And we are so, so close. We don't know the day or the hour. My problem I don't know about you. I'm just preaching to me first. My problem is I live for, I'm living for the rest of the hundred years that I'm hopefully here. That's how I live. Or I live for the day. I get caught in the moment. We had a guy here that gave his life to Jesus Christ. His name was Chuck. He gave his life to Jesus Christ one Sunday. The next Sunday, we met with him. The, week. the next Sunday, he was baptized. I mean, sincere, this guy had given up everything in his life. He was changed. He was transformed. In seven days, the guy was transformed. The next day after Sunday, he died. He died of a heart attack. He was 42 years old. I couldn't believe it when I got the news. Of course, we are saddened, but so grateful that he didn't wait to give his life to Jesus Christ. No person knows the day or the hour. None of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Some of us who are 25 think we're young, but if your death date is 36, you're old. And some of us who are in our early 50s, 40s, and we think we're going to live, we, we, you see, it's all relative. If you die when you're 90, you're young. You got a lot of time to do what? Ministry. Step into your calling. Get serious about following Jesus. If you're part of our family here, I want you to be so passionate, so on fire that Jesus is everything to you. Every single one of the 12 disciples, except for one John, were martyred, killed, died for their faith. Horrible ways that they died for Jesus. I believe that God is calling you and I to lay it all down, to surrender everything to Jesus. Even today could be a life-changing day for anyone. I want you to have a fire in your bones because you love Jesus so much because he loves you. It's not religion, it's not rules, it's not have to, it's not ought to. I get to serve the living God. I get to love him because he loved us. Question is, are you and I available? Are we available? These were unschooled, ordinary men. These 12 disciples were men who were nothing in society. They were the throwaways. They were on the margins of life. And Jesus gave them life, ministry, life. He refreshed their soul. God will blow your mind if you just say, Jesus, use me, however you want to use me. So I have a question after all of that. I, I hope there's something stirring within you. I hope there's a fire that's stirring. Yes, I want more of Jesus. I want to serve him. Lord, you want me to get baptized? I'll get baptized. Lord, you want me to repent of my sins? I'll repent of my sins. Lord, you want me to love you? You want me to serve? You want me to get involved? I'll do whatever you want. I see ministry outside these walls. The church becomes powerful when we see that ministry 
The power of ministry is out there. Yes, there's good stuff here. But when we really take seriously, there are people dying every single day who do not know Jesus Christ. My friends, my family, coworkers, people that I'm with, they need Jesus. I read a book by Greg Laurie that said 90% of Christians have never shared their faith. In this last decade, 90% of Christians who say that they're Christian have never led one person to Jesus Christ. And 86% of people who have given their life to Jesus Christ have come because someone shared the gospel with them. I don't say that to threaten you. I don't say that to scare you. I I don't say that to put any guilt on you. I say that to say, let's move. Let's do, let's do this thing differently. Let's step into a 3D. Let's step into a new realm of following Jesus. It's not about MVCC. It's not about going to a place. I love that you're here. I love that we have a place. But this is just a little bit of what it really means to get out there and do ministry that God has called. What has he called you to? What is it that he's called you to? I hope by the end of these few moments, You will have a desire to seek, God, I want to know what you've called me to. And God, when you call me home, whatever day that will be, Lord, I want to hear well done. So why? Why would the disciples, these 12 men, give up everything? Everything they gave up to follow him. They had no Bible. They had no mandate. All they saw was him. Our heart at NBCC is that you and I would see Jesus and fall on our faces and say, oh God, oh God, oh God, have mercy on me. I'm not the person I thought I was. And God, now that you have placed your hand on me through the cross and your resurrection, I know that you're alive. I stand up now, God, knowing that I'm in your grace. Now all I want to do is serve. Why? Why would they go through everything they did because of this? In Luke 23, 26 to 56. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. And the soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. Simon carries the cross of Jesus as he is making his way to the cross to die for you and me. I don't know if I was standing on the outskirts, would I be standing and watching? What would I do if one of the Roman soldiers pulled me into this mess and said, now you carry his cross? Would I I be willing to carry the cross that Jesus would be nailed to? Let's, Let's continue on. But Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? What's he talking about? 
One more verse, 31. Do we have, yeah, 30, yeah, 31. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? What Jesus is talking about is the future of the destruction of Jerusalem. He's saying tough times are coming. It will always be that way. Trouble will always be a part of our world because we live in a sin-infested world. So he's preparing them for what is to come. He wants them to know, look, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna rise from the dead, but I need you to pray for those in Jerusalem that will wish they were dead because it's gonna be so bad when Rome overtakes. Let's continue on into verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. These two men, can imagine, one on his right and one on his left. Romans would crucify 30,000 people up to that point. Along the roadsides, they would literally crucify men as an example. The Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion. Sometimes, literally, they would run out of lumber how many people they would crucify. Most of them were murderers, thieves, lowlifes, riffraff, the ones that were the throwaways. In fact, Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a cross. Why do we mention this? Because Jesus took on our sin when they nailed him to that cross. You and I, everything that we've ever done wrong, he took it all on himself. He, he, he took the burden of our pain, our heartache, our stress, our anxiety, our worry, our sinful behavior when we ran against God and when we didn't know what we were doing, all of it. He took all of the sins of all of humanity. And Jesus in that moment allowed himself to be sin for us. So that in 2 Corinthians 5, we might become the righteousness of God. He pours his righteousness into us. If we receive Christ, we now have his righteousness, his holiness, his power, his Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. Let's continue on. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Jesus, in that moment, looks at you and me And the one thing, the most important thing in our whole life, he wants to know that you and I are forgiven. That's it. And Jesus looks into the eyes of the ones that crucified him. Father, forgive them for all the Jewish people that did not receive him as the Messiah. Forgive them for all that did receive him as the Messiah. Forgive them. Everybody gets to be in. If we choose, we have to step into and receive that forgiveness and repent of our sin, man. Let's continue on. And the crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others. (laughs) Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above when these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saying to your, saying yourself and saving yourself and us too while you were at it. And the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. 
awesome. Here's what's so awesome about this. It's not our church attendance. It's not how much we gave. It's not how much we served. It's not how much we tried to do. Forget it's, it's all this. Jesus, receive me as I'm receiving you. I recognize, God, I'm a sinner. Did you hear the thief on the cross? We've done all these ills. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Lord, have mercy on me. That's the heart that God is looking for. The Bible says if we cry out to the Lord, he will receive us. John 1.12 says to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the sons and daughters of God. And let's continue on here in the text. By this time, it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down through the middle. And Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman official overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. The curtain was 60 feet high, four inches thick. And one reason it separated from the Holy of Holies. Nobody could go in there except the high priest. That was Old Testament law. No one was, if you were, went into that place where the Ark of the Covenant was, you would be struck dead. In fact, literally, when the high priest went in once a year, they would put a rope, tied a long rope to his robe to make sure that in case he went in undefiled or with a wrong heart, he would be struck down, he would die, they would have to pull his body out because nobody could go in. This is what the curtain represented. It basically represented this. You and I cannot be near God. We cannot know God. We cannot know him personally. We cannot have intimate relationship with Jesus. But when that was torn in two from top to bottom, it, it opened up the doorway. Now all can enter into the holiest of place with Jesus. We all can know God. We all can have personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Let's, let's just continue on here in verse 50, and then we'll, we'll be nearing the end. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council. Isn't it interesting that Jewish high council, obviously he believed who Jesus was, watch, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He sent, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross, wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin and as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. And then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had already begun and they rested as required by the law. Interesting that Jesus' body was laid in a borrowed tomb because he only needed to be there for three days. Because on Sunday morning, Jesus, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And that's how we know Jesus is alive. Oh, the women went to the tomb where Jesus laid, but they forgot and went to the wrong tomb the day of the resurrection. And they really got it wrong. And Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. Wrong. They wouldn't have forgotten. Women don't forget. 
They would have not forgotten where Jesus' body laid, and they went there out of respect and honor and love for him that they just at least wanted to prepare the body. I just need you to see this with me for a second, and then we'll be done. They didn't know that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. That's why they brought the spices, but they wanted to honor him, and when the tomb was empty, Mary says, they stole in his body. Where have they put it? And then she saw the resurrected Jesus. My question is, have you seen him in 3D? And when you have seen his resurrection, meaning in the heart, when you receive Christ and he's changed your life, you know that he's alive. You know that he's not in the grave. You know that he's not just like some other religious leader. He is the Christ. He is the living God. He is the Messiah. He is God Almighty and he is alive. Therefore, he has called us, he's given us, and he has sent us. Will you go? How do we do this? Number one is simply this, to trust. To trust him. Jesus... I know that you're my savior, but God, I want you to be my Lord. And so Lord, whatever you're calling me to, whatever you're asking me to, I will trust you, God. Second is to surrender. I'm all in. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do, God, because I love you. Not because of religion, not because of rules. And the last one is obey. It's obedience. Whether we like it, whether we feel it, I'm gonna trust you. I'm going to do everything that you've said you want me to do, Lord. I'm going to surrender. You want me to be a good husband, be a good wife. You want me to be a good father, good mother. You want me to be a good student. You want me to be a good follower of Jesus. Whatever it is, God, I will obey you. I trust you in this moment. My question is, do you know him? If you're here today and you don't know him, now's the moment. Now's the moment to give your life to Jesus. If you're online, maybe you got there by accident. For whatever reason, we're glad that you're here. I want you to know him, and you can know him right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to receive Jesus Christ in your heart. Second question is this. Are you passionately, passionately following him? So let's pray. Father in heaven, I give you my life. I surrender my life. Thank you for your death and your resurrection. Thank you, God, for forgiving me all my sins. I know I'm a sinner, Lord, and ask you to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. And now, Lord, send your Holy Spirit power in my life. Transform me, change me, God. And now, Lord, I surrender my entire life to serve you one step, one day at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. The cross is where it all happens. So that's why we want to give you just a moment to just kind of center down and have a quiet moment with Jesus to thank him for what he's done. That's why in the seat back in front of you, there's a small um, juice and wafer there. You can just, as you wish, as you um, take a moment to remember him, it's all about the cross. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him and that's what this time is for Jesus said to the disciples take this eat this I want you to remember me so Lord in this moment of solace and quietness God we 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 don't just remember you God but we honor you and what you've done in Jesus name thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.